Good morning. Welcome to the Patriot Radio News Hour, 800-951-0592, allamericangold.com, economics and history with attitude, legal, lawful, constitutional tender, where you can be your own central banker. Well, happy Tuesday. Well, this is your substitute teacher, Glenn Biddle, in for Double J, who, if you have ever seen the Netflix series Stranger Things, well, Joe was apparently in the upside down yesterday and could not communicate. In the series, a young boy is lost in a government conspiracy underground alter universe, and the only way he could communicate with his mom, played by Wona Ryder in the series, was through a string of Christmas lights hanging on a wall next to a painted alphabet. Now, Joe was pretty much in the same boat yesterday. His flux capacitor in his studio broke, which is being replaced today, and that's why he's not on the air. Now, speaking of the upside down, while the world as we know it is there, if you spend at least 10 minutes watching the news, your head is going to spin, and it's going to spin like a top. Now, last night I was I, I caught the first 10 minutes of Lou Dobbs and Tucker Carlson, and I had no idea that Peter Strzok was just fired. I thought that he was gone long ago, like when Joe was on vacation. I know we went over this because Louis Gohmert blew him out of the water. Trey Gowdy blew him out of the water, and this guy had that crazy, like, psycho-look face. Uh, I compared his pictures, if you ever watched uh, Full Metal Jacket, to that psychopath, the guy that they called Pyle, near the uh, end of the basic training scene when he when he shoots, he goes crazy and shoots the drill sergeant in the bathroom scene. That look on his face, just just crazy, you know. And apparently, he has started a GoFundMe page to help with his legal fees and to replace his lost pay. So it it just doesn't get any crazier than that. And I just don't understand how that guy can still be on the government payroll. Same like with Lois Lerner. I, I just saw the other day that there's some settlement that uh, the IRS has to pay back. It's either, I think, $3.5 million to Tea Party groups and conservative groups. Well, that's, that's really a, a half-hearted settlement, I guess, when you think about it, because if it was coming out of her retirement, I would feel much happier about it. But instead, the government has to pay it. So that's our money, tax money, that, that's being forked out for government lawlessness and, and overreach, which is absolutely crazy. Right, today is National BJ Day, Victory Over Japan. As we talked about last week on the Atom Bomb Show, it took five days from the bombing of Hiroshima for the Japanese to surrender. And today is also National Creamsicle Day, so you need to go out and get a creamsicle. I think last week or a week before it was National Ice Cream Sandwich Day. I got one at lunch and I got one at dinner, and I, I am the last person that needs to be indulging in ice cream. But I think I will go to get a creamsicle. Now, it's it's getting near the end of the summer, and that absolutely kills me as a teacher. My son started soccer practice yesterday, and he got his butt kicked. Okay, they, they ran about six miles, and they did planks and conditioning. And we've had so much rain here lately that they can't even get out on the field, or as their coach calls it, the pitch. And I always go in on a rainy day on late August to set up my classroom, and yesterday was rainy, so I, I arranged it so I could go over there and do that. I hate doing this on day one when I go back, and it just – really makes the rest of my summer go really, really enjoyable, knowing that my room's ready to go, and when I walk in on day one, and that, that's pretty exciting. Okay, so we take a look at the markets. Um, well, what a difference a day makes. The S&P's up 18, the NASDAQ's up 49, almost 50 points, the Dow Jones is up 114, the Nikkei is blown up, it's up 498 points, the Hong Kong's down 183, and the Shanghai's down about 5. If we look at commodities, oil is just up a penny at 67.21. That's making the Saudis mad, I'm sure. Gold is up $4.90 at 1203.80.
and silver is basically flat at fifteen oh five. It's come up a little bit since yesterday. And looking at those prices, you can't beat those prices. Those are excellent times to be buying. Um, you need to jump on that. Uh, today's special are XF $20 libs at $1,280. These are one grade below AU and are cheaper than the raw $20 libs. So if you get a chance, call in 800-951-0592. Get on that special. That's really good. Um, Yesterday they ran uh, platinum, which was uh, you know just totally out of the blue. So always something interesting. Last week we talked about the uh, the precious metals, uranium and plutonium. And like I said, we we can't sell we don't can't sell those. The last person we talked about that actually sold uranium was Hillary. Twenty uh, percent of our stockpile or production rather. So, but uh, get on those XF twenty dollar lives at twelve hundred eighty dollars, one grade below AU. Uh, that's a great deal. You can give uh, Joe a call at the office. He has nothing better to do today than answer the phone and take your order eight hundred nine five one zero five nine two. Now today's lineup, uh, we're gonna we're gonna be all over the place today. It's it's almost like it's Popular Culture Tuesday because we're gonna kind of delve into that a bit today. Uh, I've got a, a great article on Google tracking your movement, and I've got some different alternatives to Google. Uh, we're going to take a look at a Great Depression article that I found today for you. We're going to take a look at the L.A. Police Department chief, how he scammed the city. Uh, we're going to look at 10 different facts about the economy, how that, that's in trouble. Uh, we're also going to take a look at um, bomb parts found, American bomb parts found in Yemen. And then we'll wrap it up today with our This Day in History. Now, just an update, the uh, Colorado... So they, those guys have a big event coming up this weekend, Grandpa's Pawn and Gun, this Saturday the 18th. And um, I know you've heard me the other day talking about the M1 Garand rifle I bought from Rod there at Grandpa's Pawn and Gun. Bought that gun. He sent me some pictures of it. Everything checked out. So I sent him a, a money order for it. He shipped it across the United States to my federal firearms license dealer. I went in there, did the background check, got the gun, took it out Saturday put about two, 300 rounds downrange with that gun. And the really cool thing about that gun is it's pre-war. It's, it's a January 1940 serial number receiver, and it was rebarreled in 1964. That gun has a lot of history. I just can't imagine what that gun has gone through. And now I have it, and I'm super excited to have that. And so definitely take a look at, the, uh, at that event this weekend, Grandpa's Pawn and Gun with Jason and Brian up there. They're going to be doing a live event. And that'll be really neat. And it looks like we're going into our break. When we come back off the break, we're going to be talking about popular culture and how Google tracks your history. See you on the flip side. Now, Ramon is bringing us back into Better Days by a rapper named Post Malone. Now, I had never heard of this guy until last Friday on my way to the beach. Now, you remember I did the Fake News Friday bit from the beach. So we're in the car, and one of his songs comes on the radio. I think the only clean song they probably play on the radio. And my daughter from the back seat says, Dad, do you know who this guy is? And I was like, nope, never heard of him. And then she says, well, you better, because all your eighth graders are listening to him and will want you to play his songs. 
And I'm like, okay, so no idea who this guy is. So I go home and I take, I look him up. Now his songs have some really bad lyrics. You, know, you won't hear them on the radio, but I guarantee you, your kids are probably listening to him. Just ask, ask your kids about it. But I really don't care about those lyrics because after 24 years in the military and being a cop and just being a total realist, I, I kind of get that and it doesn't bother me. Um, but and I kind of get what's going on in popular culture. Now, if you don't know who this guy is, ask your kids. He has face tattoos. Um, apparently, he he does all this stuff to shock his mother, and it, what, that's kind of a jerk thing. But it also generates a lot of interest in that community. Now, you can either embrace this culture grudgingly, or you can try to ban it. Now, I can tell you right now, if you try to ban it, okay, your kids or people in general will want it even more. Now, take a look at, at drugs, guns, collecting rainwater, lemonade stands, you name it. If you try to ban something, people are going to want it even more. Now, take a case of, like, Alex Jones. Love him or hate him. Um, he now has one of the most popular apps now because of Facebook and other uh, platforms that have tried to ban him. Um, and you can, and as you can say, you could hate the player, but don't hate the game. Now, you can agree, disagree with Alex Jones, but you hate the player, but don't hate the game. And in this case, the game is free speech. And it takes me back to a great history quote here from Voltaire. It says, I disagree with everything that you say, but it offended to the death your right to say it. So we can we cannot like the, the rap guy, Post Malone, but I can tell you right now that, that a lot of people are listening to him, but should he be banned because of what he says? And that opens a very interesting question. Uh, that's one of the great things about freedom in our country in the First Amendment is that as you look at that Voltaire quote, I disagree with everything that you say, but I defended your death the right to say it. That is the First Amendment. And you may disagree with Alex Jones, but should he be banned because maybe the powers that be, Google, Facebook, the government, the deep state, who may, whoever it may be, doesn't like what he's bringing to the table? Is he exposing things that people don't like? Now, Ramon, we talked about this before the, the show started. Um, guess where Post Malone comes from? you know? Well, somebody that talented could only come from Syracuse, New York. Oh, my gosh. Don't we know someone else from Syracuse, New York? Somebody as talented as Post Malone? Of course we do. Double J, oh, which sure is also, be- that's a really cool rap name if you think about it, Double J. I know. I know, I know, but I sure hope he doesn't come back on tomorrow with face tattoos and, and going crazy. Okay, what else did you know about Post Malone? Well, I I had uh, I heard that uh, he got his name from a rap uh, generator app, and uh, apparently his first his last name is Post, so he put it in and he got um, Malone as his last name, so Post Malone. So uh, during the break, I uh, put uh, our names into the uh, generator. And of course, Double J. Well, that's that's pretty cool already. So, uh, absolutely. For, for you, cool. we've got one for you here. It's Mad Glenn B. B E E. So you like that one? I love it. I love it. That's my new name, Mad Glenn B. The Professor. Now mine um, is a little odd, but it's uh, my name is Ramon Bonilla, and uh, it came out Swagga R B, aka Papa Punch. Do you like that? That's you, aka I love Papa it. I love Punch. It. That that would that would fill a lot of space on a yeah. uh, on a video if you if you had to do that. That would that, be that's great great information. Now, why do I bring all this up? Well, the point is because we're starting because, a rap group uh, later afterwards. Oh, oh yeah yeah yeah. I think I think Joe's going to kick both of us I, off the show. I, I believe point, it's called but, the Midlife uh, Crisis Rap Group. Exactly exactly. I, I I don't have a body for rap. Just that's why I'm doing the radio. I don't think I could ever be published or or 
or be out there. So, But the reason we're going over this today is because we're also talking about social media, and obviously all this stuff is playing on social media. The kids, once again, your kids have this thing called Instagram, and they also have something called a Finsta, F-I-N-S-T-A. That's a fake Instagram, and that's where they put all the stuff that they don't want you to see, and it's under a different name. So if you try to search your kid's Instagram and try to find them, you might find the one that they publicly have, but then they have this fake one where they can do all the nefarious stuff uh, online. And, and it's, it's absolutely almost hard to get your head around or hard to handle as a parent these days. I have an 18-year-old, a 22-year-old, and a 23-year-old, and I work with all these young teachers, and they're not much older than that. And I actually sent this video of this Post Malone to these young teachers. I'm like, hey, what do you think of this guy? And I got back, oh, I love the guy, bumping beats, it's great. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then I talked to some parents who know about this guy, like, yeah, we really like it. And actually, as I started listening to his music, I kind of like it. I hate to say that, but it, it is kind of catchy. I was running to it today on the on the treadmill at the at the Y. I ended up doing three miles, and I only knew two, normally do two, so it can't be all that bad, I guess. All right, now, moving right along. So I want to get into how technology tracks you, and this is from the AP. AP exclusive. Google tracks your movements, like it or not. And this is out the datelines out of San Francisco. Google wants to know where you are so badly that it records your movements, even when you explicitly tell it not to. An Associated Press investigation found that many Google services on Android devices and iPhones store your location data, even if you've used a privacy setting that says it will prevent Google from doing so. Computer science researchers at Princeton confirmed these findings at the AP's request. For the most part, Google is upfront about asking permission to use your location information. An app like Google Maps will remind you to allow access to location if you use it for navigating. If you agree to let it record your location over time, Google Maps will display that history for you in a timeline that maps out your daily movement. Now, storing your minute-by-minute travels carries privacy risks and has been used by police to determine the location of suspects such as a warrant that police in Raleigh, North Carolina, served on Google last year to find devices near a murder scene. So the company lets you pause a setting called location history. Now, Google says that will prevent the company from remembering where you have been. Google's support page on the subject states you can turn off location history at any time. With location history off, the places you go are no longer stored. Well, that isn't true. Even with location history paused, some Google apps automatically store timestamp location data without asking. It, it is possible, though, all la- although laborious, laborious rather, to delete it. For example, Google stores a snapshot of where you are when you merely open the its Maps, maps app. Automatic daily weather updates on Android phones pinpoint roughly where you are, and some searches that have nothing to do with location like chocolate chip cookies or kids' science kits pinpoint your precise latitude and longitude accurate to the square foot and save it to your Google account. The privacy issue affects some 2 billion users, billion with a B, 2 billion users of devices that run Google's Android operating software and hundreds of millions of worldwide iPhone users who rely on Google for maps or search. Storing location data in violation of a user's preferences is wrong, said Jonathan Mayer, a Princeton computer scientist and former chief technologist for the Federal Communications Commission Enforcement Bureau. A researcher from Mayer's lab confirmed the AP's findings on multiple Android devices, and the AP conducted its own tests on several iPhones and found some of the same behavior. 
If you're going to allow users to turn off something called location history, then all the places where you maintain location history should be turned off, Mayer said. That seems like a pretty straightforward position to have. Google says, though, it's being perfectly clear. There are a number of different ways that that Google may use your location to improve people's experiences, including location history, web and app activity, through device-level location services, a Google spokesperson said in a statement to the AP, we provide clear description of these tools and robust controls so people can turn them on or off and delete their histories at any time. Google's explanation did not convince several lawmakers. Senator Mark Werner of Virginia told the AP, it is frustratingly common for technology companies to have corporate practices that diverge wildly from the totally reasonable expectations of their users and urge policies that would give users more control of their data. Representative Frank Pallone of New Jersey called for comprehensive consumer privacy and data security legislation in the wake of the AP report. To stop Google from saving these location markers, the company says users can turn off another setting, one that does not specifically reference location information called web app and app activity, and enable by default that setting stores a variety of information from Google apps and websites to your Google account. Okay. Now, you can delete these location markers by hand, but it's a painstaking process, and you have to select them individually unless you want to delete all of your stored activity. You can see the stored location markers on a page in your Google account, and they're typically scattered under several different headers, many of which are unrelated to the location. Now, to demonstrate how powerful these other markers can be, the AP created a visual map of the movements of Princeton postdoctoral researcher Gunas Akar, who carried an Android phone location history off and shared the record of his Google account. Now, there's a map on this page, and it shows with his, with his um, location history off, it pinpoints exactly where he went. And let's see, he started off in Virginia and ended up in New York, and it showed exactly where he was. Okay. Um, the map includes Acker's train commute, two trips to New York and visits to the Highline Park, Chelsea Market, Hell's Kitchen, Central Park, and Harlem. To protect his privacy, the AP did not plot the most telling and frequent marker, his home address. Huge tech companies are under increasing scrutiny over their data practices following a series of privacy scandals that Facebook and other news data privacy rules recently adopted by the European Union. Last year, the business news site Quartz found that Google is tracking Android, Android users by collecting the addresses of nearby cell phone towers, even if all location services were off. Google changed the practice instead of never recorded the data anyway. Critics say Google's insistence on tracking its user location stems from its drive to boost advertising revenue. Now, here's where it gets interesting. They build advertising information out of data, says Peter Lentz, a senior geospatial analyst at Distillery, a rival advertising technology company. More data for them presumably means more profit. Oh, there it is, money. The AP learned of the issue from a graduate researcher at UC Berkeley who studies the commuting patterns of volunteers in order to help urban planners. She noticed that her Android phone prompted her to rate a shopping trip to Kohl's, even though she had turned location history off. So how did Google Maps know where I was, she asked. Well, the AP wasn't able to recreate the experience exactly, but its attempts to do so revealed Google's tracking, and the findings disturbed her. I'm not opposed to background location tracking in principle, she said. It just really bothers me it's not explicitly stated. Now, Google offers a more accurate description of how location history actually works in a place you'd only see it if you turned it off. It's a pop-up that appears when you pause location history on your Google account webpage. And there the company notes that some location data may be saved as part of your activity and other Google services 
like Search and Maps. Now, the article goes on and on and on. Um, it, it basically, it's about advertising. Um, the company is pushing further into such location-aware tracking to drive the revenue, which rose 20% last year to $95.4 billion. And at a Google Marketing Live Summit in July, Google executives unveiled a new tool called Local Campaigns that dynamically uses ads to boost in-person store visits. It says it can measure how well a campaign drove foot traffic with data pulled from Google, Google's user location history. Google also says location records stored in My Activity are used to target ads, and ad buyers can target ads to specific locations, say a mile radius around a particular landmark, and typically have to pay more to reach this narrow audience. Now, you can turn this off, but apparently it's very hard to do. And even if it is turned off, they can still kind of shadow watch you in a way. Um, I remember we, we talked a little bit about the uh, the, the movie app um, and how uh, I think Wendy was using it. And the, the movie app would allow you to purchase movies, and then but it would track your location from your house, let's say, to the movie. And then whatever you did from the movie, let's say you walked around the mall and you went to different stores, it would track all that. And it was able to target then ads to you. Now, uh, I'm pretty sure that as you're clicking on websites and Facebook, they're tracking through an algorithm and they can see where you're going to pop up ads on the side. And it's just something that you need to know about. I thought it was interesting to bring this up because it seems like uh, these tech companies are all in our business. And it's no wonder that Facebook's look, um, ad traffic, is, or traffic rather, has dropped off by about 50%, they're saying, because people, one number one, they're making a lot of people mad, but number two, people like their privacy and they really don't want to be tagged in some algorithm that's tracking everything that they do. So I thought this was interesting to bring up today. Um, I've got another article we're going to talk about after the break that I did find on Facebook. It's a history article. So it's halftime on a Pop Culture Tuesday. We'll be back after the break. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, the conservative pro-family broadcast of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a leading voice for the sanctity of life, traditional education, the Constitution, and American sovereignty. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The liberal media trembled in manufactured terror this spring when President Trump suggested that illegal immigrants crossing the border be sent back home without any holdup for hearings and often the months and years of litigation that follow their capture. This suggested skip of judicial process sent the left immediately into outrage over a violation of due process rights. Even those conservatives somewhat slow to support Trump took this opportunity to chastise the president for a supposed lack of constitutional understanding. What might surprise you, however, is to know that the U.S. Supreme Court and other court precedent agrees with Trump's suggestion to skip the judicial process for illegals. Matt O'Brien, who served both as head of the Citizen and Immigration Services as well as Immigration and Customs Enforcement, corrected the record. O'Brien stated... Quote, multiple news outlets made all manner of wild claims about the so-called rights of illegal aliens. But once again, in an effort to portray Trump as a xenophobe, the open borders lobby has gotten its facts backward. Trump is actually right on the mark. End quote. The Supreme Court has been uncommonly consistent on this point throughout history. Many of their decisions have concluded that the decisions of the chief executive and his officers, acting under the authority of Congress, are the due process of law for illegal visitors. Non-resident aliens have no right of entry to the United States. We need only provide an alien with judicial trial when charging him with a crime. What do all these things mean? 
that foreign nationals are not owed due process whatsoever. The U.S. government can exclude them at will, and Congress can offer only such due process as they want to extend. Congress could also easily streamline the removal process of illegals, and in fact they have already done so for certain classes of aliens. Make no mistake, Trump is posing a legitimate question. It's time that we start asking ourselves just how many tax dollars are we willing to burn to provide illegal aliens with an expensive judicial process to which they are clearly not entitled. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, President of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. What's the latest on building the wall to protect our southern border? To the liberal media, it's a joke. But the crisis of illegal aliens is no laughing matter. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're asking serious questions regarding what to build, who's paying for it, and how best to deploy our military. Go to phyllisschlafly.com and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. In order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty. To ourselves and our posterity do ordain and establish this Constitution And welcome back to Pop Culture and Social Media Tuesday. Now, that's what kids should be listening to, Schoolhouse Rock. They might learn something, not all this crazy rap music. Now, can you imagine the parents in the 50s that were like, oh, this rock and roll stuff, it's terrible. And then parents in the 60s, oh, this acid rock, that stuff's terrible. And then, you know, you name the decade, and parents are, are just railing at all this assault on their kids. And here we are in 2018, and parents are railing against this kind of stuff so i totally get it uh but that's that's uh, schoolhouse rock stuff uh, that's how i know the preamble to the constitution i sing it okay conjunction junction what's your function my hero zero i'm just a bill on capitol hill i love that stuff that's great and that's what that's what kids should be listening to although they probably think it was hokey today but oh well now getting back to our Social Media Tuesday. Now, I was scrolling through my Facebook page yesterday, and I'm sure the algorithm that Facebook has has targeted me very well because there was a article from the History Channel about did New Deal programs help end the Great Depression? Now, I was just thinking to myself, now, what have they seen on my Facebook page that will bring this up on my page? Well, obviously, uh, the Great Depression, I'm sure I've mentioned it somehow, I've talked about it somehow. I, I like the History Channel, so I'm sure I've liked some of their pages. So they put this in front of me, and I'm like, oh, this looks pretty cool. I think I'll read it. Now, I'm going to read it to you, and I want you to think what you – it's it's a very short article. It's kind of like the USA USA Today version of, of a history article that's written on probably uh, an eighth-grade level, okay? Now – so there's the title, How Did New Deal Programs Help End the Great Depression? There's some great propaganda posters here of FDR, okay? And a little caption below the picture says, How did President Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal get the American economy back on track? And which components still have a major impact on today's science, on today's society? Now, since the 1930s, conventional wisdom has held that President Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal helped bring about the end of the Great Depression. The series of social and government spending programs did get millions of Americans back to work on hundreds of public projects across the country. 
But in the 80 years since the Great Depression was formally declared over in June of 1938, historians and economists have continued to debate the true merits of the New Deal and whether, in fact, the radical government spending programs brought about the end of the biggest economic downturn in history. Many New Deal programs established critical economic safeguards. The reforms put in place by the New Deal, including encouraging the beginning of labor movement, which fostered wage growth and sustained the purchasing power of millions of Americans, the establishment of Social Security and the federal regulations imposed on the financial industry, as imperfect as they were, essentially ensured there wouldn't be another Great Depression after the 1930s, says Nelson Lichtenstein, a professor of history and director of the Center for the Study of Work, Labor, and Democracy at the University of California, Santa Barbara. And there hasn't been. We've had a few close calls, but nothing like the Great Depression, he says. But just because the United States hasn't repeated the economic catastrophe of the Great Depression doesn't mean the programs of the New Deal can take all the credit. Other factors were also at play, including the onset of a major world war, and it could really be argued that World War II, which ultimately lowered unemployment and increased GNP, that's what they called it back then, through weapons production, really played a much bigger role, Lichtenstein says. Still, as Dr. Lichtenstein notes, several programs created through the New Deal did have a lasting positive impact on the U.S. economy, which was flagging throughout the 1930s, among them the Social Security Act, which provided income for the elderly, disabled children of poor families, the Glass-Steagall Act of 1933 established the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, which effectively ensured the savings of Americans in the event of a bank failure, which is all too common at the time. The modern labor movement was born out of the New Deal initiatives. In addition, Lichtenstein notes, the National Industrial Recovery Act of 1933 was enacted to foster fair competition through the fixing of prices and wages and the establishment of production quotas, among other measures. The subsequent National Labor Relations Act of 1935 allowed for collective bargaining and essentially led to the development of labor movement in the United States, which protected workers' rights and wages. But the New Deal programs alone weren't enough to end the Great Depression. According to Linda Gordon, professor of history at New York University, the Works Progress Administration, created in 1935, also had a positive impact by employing more than 8 million Americans in building projects ranging from bridges and airports to parks and schools, also the Hoover Dam, such pro programs certainly helped end the Great Depression, but were insufficient because the amount of government funds for stimulus wasn't large enough, she notes. Only World War II, with demands for massive war production, which created lots of jobs, ended the Depression. That ends the article. So there's a little History Channel article here. Now, if you just read that at first glance, the average person reads it, oh, that's a great little article, and they move on. Now, to this audience, what is not included in this article? And it has to do with something Joe brings up all the time. It happened in 1933. Anybody? Anybody? I'm looking for hands out there in the audience. Oh, I see a hand up. And yes, you are correct. The Gold Confiscation Act of 1933. That is not in this article. I wonder why. wonder why that's not in here. And they talk about the labor unions. Uh, well, what, is, what has happened with labor unions over time? They have priced out their labor to the point where what if what have uh, manufacturers had to do to stay competitive? They've had to move their jobs overseas. And none of that's mentioned in here. So the lasting impacts are far more complicated than this article actually portrays. Okay, the FDIC. Now, there is not enough money in the accounts of the FDIC to handle a, a depression-like bank closures. I mean, at, at the end of the, in 1933, which was the worst year, there were something like between 8,000 and 12,000 bank closures. 
There's not enough money in the FDIC account to, to handle that. And if you ever have dealt with an FDIC uh, closure where they come into your bank, they usually come in on a Friday, and they shutter the bank, and then they put a little sign on the door that says, oh, if you want your money, go to FDIC.gov, and you're probably going to have to do that on Monday. And how are you going to be able to get your money that way? The ATM's turned off. I mean, you're done. You're not you're not getting your money. It's like it's like uh, Greece when you're trying to get the euros out of the out of the ATM and they limit you to a certain amount, but you're not getting any out of that ATM that day. Okay, so the Social Security Act, how that has evolved over time. There's not enough money to cover the Social Security program. Joe was talking about this yesterday about the deficits that are going on with this. Okay, so I mean, it, it's no doubt that World War II did really end the depression. And the one art, the guy that says in here that. Um, that that uh, that we haven't had a another depression like symptoms since then. Oh, I would tell you that 2008 was pretty rough, and I think it was almost depression era activities. Uh, but the government kind of papered it over, literally papered it over by the QE and just dumping massive amounts of money into the economy. They say a recession is when your neighbor loses his job, and a depression is when you lose your job. So that's kind of the the gauge there on what's going on. So I just wanted to bring this up because if you just rely on Facebook for your news, and and it's not there's no deep dives into any type of, of uh, the depression here on this article at all. If you're relying on social media for your news, you're in bad shape. The same way if you're trying to rely on network news for your news, you're also in bad shape. All right, after the break, we're going to get into some uh, new news. We're going to talk about the LAPD police chief who scammed the city. We'll see you on the flip side. And we're back on a Pop Culture Tuesday. Now, here's a crazy article here. This just shows you how whacked out California is. The headline is, LAPD chief scams city for 1.2 million payout and then is rehired. He left his chief of operations for only a few weeks before rejoining the force in the same job at the same pay. But the move provided him with a financial windfall, a lump sum retirement payment of $1.27 million from the city. Before Michael Moore was promoted to become the Los Angeles Police Department's new chief in June, he took a brief but highly unusual retirement. He left as chief of operations for only a few weeks before rejoining the force in the same job at the same pay. But the move provided him with a financial windfall, a lump sum retirement pay of $1.27 million from the city. Moore, 58, received the money thanks to his enrollment in the city's Deferred Retirement Option Plan, or DROP, which pays veteran cops and firefighters their pensions in addition to their salaries for the last five years of their careers. The extra pension payments go into a special account that the employee receives at the end of five years, so as long as they formally retire. Moore said in an interview that the plan to have him retire and then return almost immediately to work was proposed by former Chief Charlie Beck and approved by Mayor Eric Garcetti. So there you have it. You know, CalPERS is completely upside down uh, as far as, as, as their, their retirements go, and then you hear about the sweetheart deal, and this guy's probably going to move to uh, Phoenix there and live like a king. So, I mean, I guess that government works great if you can get it. So, I don't know. It's just another example of how California just defies all logic. And there you have it. All right, uh, next article here. Ten numbers that prove that America's current financial condition is a horror show. And this is actually on our website, allamericangold.com. 
And it says America's long-term balance sheet numbers just continue to get progressively worse. Unfortunately, since the stock market has been soaring and the GDP numbers look okay, most Americans assume the U.S. economy is doing just fine. That is, if you're not listening to this show, because we let you know how it actually is happening. We give it to you straight. But the stock market was soaring and the GDP numbers looked okay just prior to the great financial crisis of 2008 as well. And we now know how that turned out. The truth is that GDP is not the best measure for the health of an economy. Judging the U.S. economy by GDP is basically like measuring the financial health of an individual by how much money he or she spends. And now we're going to attempt to illustrate that in this article. If I went out right now and got a whole bunch of new credit cards and started spending money like there was no tomorrow, would that mean that my financial condition had improved? No. In fact, it would mean that my long-term financial condition just got a whole lot worse. GDP is a measurement of how much economic activity is happening in our society and basically an indication of how much money is changing hands. But just because more money is changing hands does not mean things are going well. What really matters is what's happening to assets and liabilities. In other words, is wealth being built or is more debt just being accumulated? And I think we all know, listen to Joe yesterday, he talked about this massive debt. And it's terrible. Sadly, there are only a handful of bright spots in our economy. A couple of very large tech companies, such as Apple, are accumulating wealth. But just about everywhere else you look, debt is growing at an unprecedented pace. Household debt has never been higher. Corporate debt has doubled since the last financial crisis. State and local government debt is at record highs, and the U.S. national debt is wildly out of control. If I went out tomorrow and spent $20,000 with a bunch of new credit cards, I could claim that my personal GDP was soaring because I was spending a lot more money than before. But my boasting would be pointless because in reality, it would just be putting my family in an extremely precarious financial position. Insert family position, insert United States in that sentence, and that's where we are. Economic growth is produced by continually increasing amounts of debt is not a positive thing. I wish that more people understood this very basic concept. The following are 10 numbers that provide or that prove that America's current financial condition is a horror show. Number one, U.S. consumer credit just hit another all-time record high. In the second quarter of 2008, total consumer credit reached a grand total of $2.63 trillion. And now 10 years later, that number has soared to $3.87 trillion. It, this is an increase of 48% in just one decade. Number two, student loan debt has surpassed $1.5 trillion for the first time ever over the last eight years. The total amount of student loan debt has shot up 79% in the United States. Number three, according to the Federal Reserve, the credit card default rate in the U.S. has risen for seven quarters in a row. Number four, one recent survey found that 42% of American consumers paid their credit card bill late at least once in the last year, and 24% of American consumers paid their credit card bills late more than once in the last year. Number five, real wage growth in the United States, real wage growth in the United States, just declined by the most that we have seen in six years. Number six, according to a recent study, the rate of people 65 and older filing for bankruptcy is three times what it was in 1991. Number seven, we're in the midst of the greatest retail apocalypse in American history. At this point, 57 retailers have announced closing so far in 2018. Number eight, the size of the official U.S. budget deficit is up 21% under President Trump. But, hey, we got 4.1 GDP, so it's got to be good. Number nine, it is being projected that interest on the national debt will surpass half a trillion dollars for the first time ever this year. That's going to be a low figure. It's going to be higher, as Joe always says. Number 10, Goldman Sachs is projecting that the yearly U.S. budget deficit will surpass $2 trillion by 2028. 
probably going to be higher. And then we haven't even talked about unfunded liabilities. Those are essentially future commitments that we have made that we don't have the money for at the moment. According to Professor Larry Kotlis, our unfunded liabilities are well in excess of $200 trillion right now. $200 trillion. Has anyone mentioned that number anywhere? You can go find it on the Debt Clock, though, site. You can go to look at it. I encourage you to go do that. If individuals, corporations, state, local governments, and the federal government all stopped going into more debt, we would plunge to the greatest economic depression in U.S. history immediately. If we stopped going into more debt, that means we have to keep this debt cycle going to keep the system going, which is crazy. The system is deeply, deeply broken, and the only way we can keep this debt bubble going is to keep accumulating even more debt. Anyone out there that believes that the U.S. economy has been fixed is completely deceived. Joe was talking about this yesterday. Nothing has been fixed. Instead, our long-term financial imbalances are getting worse at an escalating pace. So we are in deep, deep debt trouble, ladies and gentlemen. This is why you need to be your own central banker, and you need to put some gold and silver in your pocket. And we're going to go over that special when we get back. 800-951-0592, final segment coming up on a popular Culture Tuesday. And we're coming back in off the break to Romeo Void, Never Say Never, on a popular culture social media Tuesday. That was a great song, although you probably don't want to go look at the lyrics on that one either. Okay, taking a look at this day in history. This is some good stuff here. In 1457, the first book ever printed by German astrologer Faust, he was then thrown in jail in Paris for selling books. And authorities believe that he was in league with the devil selling identical books. So this guy got banned before banning was even popular. If Facebook was around then, they would have they would have tossed him, no doubt. Okay. In nineteen forty two, Eisenhower named Anglo American commander for Operation Torch, the invasion of North Africa. Now this initially started okay, but then it got really bad for the United States. Uh we had some serious growing pains with our army at the Kazarine Pass. And if you if you ever watched the movie Patton, that's a great, great example of, of how unprepared we were to fight. And that was kind of our our training before we did D-Day. In 1945, we talked about this this morning, VJ Day, victory over Japan. Japan surrenders, ending World War II. In 1947, Pakistan becomes an independent country. In 1987, here's a sports one, Mark McGuire hits 40, his 49th home run, setting major league record for a rookie, although that had a bad ending because he later admitted that it was caused by steroids, although he said he could have done it anyway without the steroids. So you have to put the little asterisk by uh, by that stat there. And in 2007, four coordinated suicide bombs killed over 400 people near Mosul, Iraq. Now, notable births, Ernest Thayer, author of Casey at the Bat. There's a little Mark. Mark McGuire should have uh, paid attention to that one. Steve Martin, comedian. I always remember uh, his, the, 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 uh, uh, King Tut song. Oh, that was great on Saturday Night Live. That was amazing. Uh, Romance novelist Danielle Steele, one of the most popular authors. And then we have Gary Larson, the Far Side Comics. I love Far Side Comics. You have to be smart to understand those. Sometimes I don't understand some of them, but they are absolutely hilarious. Okay, so getting back to our special today, we have the XF $20 Libs at $1,280. 
They are one grade below AU and are cheaper than raw $20 libs. You can give Joe a call at 800-951-0592. Now, he has nothing to do today. He's sitting there watching an expert install a new flux capacitor. I don't know what he's actually being put on there, but flux capacitor sounds cool. If you remember your popular culture movies, what movie is that from? That's from Back to the Future. They were driving that DeLorean with the flux capacitor inside of it, and they had to hit that perfect spot when the lightning hit, and they could get back to the future. So hopefully lightning won't hit any Joe's equipment, and he'll be back up and running tomorrow. But if he's not running tomorrow, I'll do the show for him. I've got at least another five or six pages on a legal pad of stuff I did not get to today. Okay, so remember the Colorado show you can go to it every day and listen to it streaming. You can go to shoutcast.com and search for American Freedom Network. You get right on there and listen to it. There's Radionomy, and there's the TuneIn app. You can get on there and listen in. They have a big event this Saturday, the 18th, um, at Grandpa's Pawn and Gun. So definitely take a look at that. Okay. Uh, I have an article that I'm going to send to Ramon so that he can put up on the website. It's alternatives to the legacy uh, platform, social media platform, like YouTube, Reddit, Twitter, Google, Facebook, and there's lots of different uh, alternatives. And I'll send that to him so he can put that up on the website for you so you can have alternatives if you'd like to take a look at those uh, because definitely these sites are definitely tracking you. And thanks for having me on again today. Loved it. Give Double an email if you like today's show, Double J at allamericangold.com. Give him a call. Get that special. I might talk to you tomorrow. I might not. Have a nice day.